Welcome to Check the Program, a podcast by four sometimes journalists who saw a desperate need for arts coverage and decided to do something about it. I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm John Thropel. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. I'm Janice Lacouve. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories of Lekwungen-speaking and Coast Salish peoples, including what is now known as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the privilege to live, work, and create on these lands, and much of the art we're discussing here has also been created and performed here. This episode, we've got the first of the fall theatre reviews, some exciting stuff we've all been out to, including Doll's House 2 at the Belfry, Frankenstein at Theatre in Canu, Spirit at Langham Court Theatre, and a look ahead of what's coming up. But first, we have a special guest. Our first guest! Yay, our first in-person <laughs> <Yes>. guest! <laughs> Thanks for coming! Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we invited you here to uh, come chat with us because you're a bit of a legend in the local art scene, <laughs> a much valued uh, person um, in theatre support and reviewing. And um, and you are making a change. I'm so why don't change. you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I'm retiring, and I am leaving Victoria for parts north on <laughs> Vancouver Island. <laughs> How far north? Campbell River. Okay. And tell us a little bit. How did you get started um, writing about the arts, and how did this sort of evolve? Oh, that's a really good question. So I have a son, and some people don't know that my son is an actor so people know me and they know my son Elliot Loran who doesn't have the same last name and because he's been in Toronto now since 2010 they don't put the two together but Elliot went to the Canadian College of Performing Arts and he graduated in 2007 in late 2007 from the Company C program and I did not want to be the stage mother. So I decided that rather than being the stage mother, and because he moved to Toronto, where he's supported by an entire community of people, I would be the stage, I would be the theater mom by proxy. <laughs> Just like he's got people who support him in Toronto, I can support an entire community of artists here that it's been my privilege to meet um, because of my connections to the Canadian College of Performing Arts, and then he went and did stuff with Atomic Vaudeville. Mm. And if you remember, Facebook wasn't a thing in 2006. <laughs> sure. People were still on MySpace pages. There wasn't mm. access to WordPress um, yet, and people were struggling with how were they going to promote themselves as artists. And I think that as journalists, you remember back in those days, it was one email that you sent out and it mm -hmm. covered everybody. Mm -hmm. And they put the, so the people you were sending it to would put it in their calendars and there were very few of them. And then they would put it in print and then the journalists or the videographers would show up at your event with very little in the way of advance notice. And, and then 2008 happened and the yeah. bottom fell out of the newspaper business. Yeah, exactly. So I was operating on inside knowledge and emails that I would be getting from people. In 2009, I discovered Twitter, and that just blew up with the fringe and connecting with artists all over North America. So because I had the inside information, I started a blog, and then I made a more professional blog. And it was basically just to share that information. I can remember being 
I had three months of calendar spread on my kitchen table trying to figure out how I was going to get to all these different shows mm -hmm. and and which ones they were um, because I felt a connection to the artists that were performing them. And I was thinking, oh my good grief, if I can't figure this out and I have all this inside information, then surely to goodness, one of the reasons that people don't go to theater is because they don't know in advance what's happening, mm -hmm. right? They're maybe not connected to the Facebook pages now or they don't get the e um, e-newsletters and yeah. things like that so that's kind of how I started and you you are you've really shown dedication in trying to get out to and cover as much as possible beyond the you know the kind the of headline ones. the big yeah. ones um what would you say how would you say you've seen the theater scene itself change not the coverage of oh, it but the scene oh my goodness wow okay in the last three years um pretty much tripled in the number of events mm. that are available in Victoria. So when I would catalog a three month period of time, and I usually do fall and then maybe January, February as winter because March is a very busy month. So then I will do spring and then I will do summer. And it had tripled the number of theater events, like um, specific one night events or maybe a fundraiser, which is still performative, mm -hmm. right? And then the the main stage shows and the U shows and everything else tripled. Yeah, I wonder, wow. is it, do you think that's due to space? Like more spaces or? Um, I, I think it's a real, there was a real explosion in about 2008. Like social media happened mm -hmm. and Atomic Vaudeville started working with the Canadian College of Performing Art. When that happened with this mix of Atomic Vaudeville and CCPA and, um, the University of Victoria, I think that that and the fact that the cuts had happened, it made young people, CCPA grads are already entrepreneurial. That is part of what they do. And in at UVic, it was Peter and Chris, it was uh, Chelsea Haberlin from It's a Zoo, um, Ingrid uh, Hansen with Snafu Dance in 2006 before they'd even graduated, and then Andrew Barrett, right? And if you think those companies are companies and individual performers are still going mm -hmm. um, very very strong, they've established careers across that are, that are have some um, reputation across Canada and even further afield, right? So I think that they people started to see that it was possible to have control of your own creation. Mm. And that really opened the floodgates. SATCO, um, the student alternative theater company up at UVic, got a new wind. They started doing things. And of course, there was the creation of the U Show mm -hmm. in 2000 and was that nine or 10? I suspect that's been a pretty big driver. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Giving people the opportunity to workshop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I talked to, uh, when, for the 10th anniversary of Atomic Vaudeville, I talked to Britt Small, and she said that there had probably been 600 people that had come through Atomic Vaudeville. Yeah, that's a good wow. story. Something like that. I mean, it was hundreds. Right. It might not be six, but it was hundreds. Um, and people started to see that you could create risky theater, right? Mm -hmm. But that you had to have a professional quality to it, too. And so this, this workshopping that's been going on has been very, very, very useful to the local artistic community. I mean, 
that's one of the things that drives me nuts about what's going on in the city right now is there's the, over the last decade there's been the creation of so many companies and yeah. so much new work mm-hmm. at the same time the coverage of that work has tapered off enormously so that the traditional think? outfits <laughs> I know. can't even get coverage I know you know and it's and, very frustrating and it must be frustrating for the artists I was talking last night um, at my retire going away party my thank you and going away party um, with Diana Sonic Henderson mm. from um, uh, Broken Rhythms, mm-hmm. and she said that she thought that what I had had to write, which she included in her grant application, sealed the grant application, which yeah. then allows her to create more work. So if I start scanning what people are using, whether they're using it in their forward promotion, or they're using it in their grant applications, or they're using it in their... Um, you know their fringe, um, their fringe promo. Um, yeah, it's it's just important. Yeah, it's amazing how much uh, those grant applications rely on coverage, which must, mm-hmm. you know, makes you wonder. Like, some that might be something to change in grant application. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Changing like the landscape yeah. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it, it's no. Uh, there's no question that your departure is going to leave a gap in local coverage. Yeah. Are you concerned about that? Are you, are you hopeful that someone's going to step in and fill fill your well, shoes? Well, I'm hoping or? that you're going to fill my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> but um, I was doing research for speaking in tongues at the Belfry, and the speaking in tongues at the point that it showed up at the Belfry was almost 20 years old. I think mm-hmm. it had debuted in um, Australia in 1995, and I was as I was doing my research, so. I don't normally do a lot of research, but when a, when a performance is problematic for me, when it brings up things and I start going, well, why am I not really as appreciative of this as, as something else, right? Then the research starts. Okay, well, you know, is, is there something cultural? Is it a, I just don't understand the uh, playwright's intention? And I stumbled across this Australian blog, and that was her last review. And she said in that review, I've come to the end of my words. Hmm. I can't find any more because she too was doing it as a labor of love. It wasn't that she was being paid for it. And she felt that there was nothing new that she could add to the conversation and that she was starting to become trite. Hmm. Maybe I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's what I took away from it. And I thought, wow, okay. I'm not a communications professional, but I've come at communications from the lens of doing stuff in the community back in the mid-90s and doing newsletters and then evolving into doing communications for volunteer groups and things of that nature. And I didn't see social media as being social media. I saw, I mean, I saw it as an opportunity to connect with people, but I definitely saw it as a communications vehicle. And I think that a lot of people leap onto a website mm. to start talking about what they want to do or they do podcasts or video, YouTube videos and things of that nature. And I don't think that they give a lot of thought to how am I going to be able to sustain this, mm-hmm. right? But I'd had to produce so much stuff where you didn't, you couldn't argue about producing it. You know, the community newsletter needed to go out. That I think that for me, it was, I can do this. There's a certain sustainability to it, right? But I'm retiring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so 
Um, beyond the shows in which your son was amazing, yes. <laughs> what are some of the highlights of shows over your the last decade? Like, what? Oh, that Pick isn't fair. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be your favorite. What ones Top just stick out in your mind? Yeah. There was the Kabuki drop at the end of the Les Liaisons Dangereuses. Um, up at Uvic, Line in the Streets. Um, you know, Judith Thompson's play, and at that point it was, what, 20 years old, 30 years old? 30, I'd probably say. Yeah, Yeah. and as um, impactful, some of the stuff that um, at Theatre in Canoe, which is along with the Splash Zone at Atomic (laughs) Vaudeville, with with Theatre in Canoe, I really started to realize that I needed to pay attention what a play was about, mm. particularly in the old space, which was so tight mm. and so close um, that some. Sh- I went home from one show from Pillow Man and was violently ill. Mm. I went to see The Ecstasy of Rita Joe, which at that point was 50 years old. And they did it in the round with masks. Yeah. And I thought, my good grief, this could have been written today the two hour long version of ride the cyclone (laughs) everybody's favorite version yeah yeah Yeah. with the teddy bear the birth of blue bridge Mm -hmm. with um as you was it as you like it what else and of course the principals of uh, vino bono have moved to um toronto um they did a show called um art of the eight limbs at the victoria fringe and that face at um, Langham, which was a, a real departure for Langham. Mm-hmm. Judy Trelore had worked really hard to bring that piece to the stage. And if you think about some of the young actors now, Melissa Taylor, um, Kai Tadai, they were Michael Bell. They were all teens mm-hmm. at the time, you know, performing in this extremely um, charged and dysfunctional family Yeah, I remember drama. that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've gone on to, to do some amazing work, right? That's... Lots to reflect on. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... Oh, and the birth, the birth of um, Paper Street Theatre. Oh, sure. They're, yeah. they're, redoing, they're redoing this year a, um, an improvised Beckett, but I still remember the... And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like a theatre nerd's dream. Like, who could possibly be the audience for something like that? You know, this intersection, the Venn diagram of people who love improv and full-length improv, and then people who have an understanding of absurdist theatre, mm-hmm. and people who have an understanding of Beckett on top of it all. Um, I think that's about five people. Yeah. <laughs> and you're leaving town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's like four. How, um, how is Campbell Rivers? Theater scene. Oh, everybody asks me about that. And you know something? I was talking to Heather um, uh, Day yesterday. She's directing The Mikado for Gilbert and Sullivan um, this year. And um, Barbara Livingston, the opera singer, got her start in the River City Players in Campbell River. (laughs) Yeah. So they have... um, they have a little theater in Campbell River, and they have their own building, so a little 90-seat black box theater. They have the Tidemark, and the Tidemark produces shows um, that would be on a circuit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Also in Courtney, the Courtney 
little players and they put on shows they have a season that they put on um, at the Sid which is a big theater mm -hmm. and um, in Qualicum there's the Echo Players which are in the Echo Theater which was an old movie theater and then Bard to Broadway which was Shakespeare and other things musicals in the park in Parksville as the community aged it got too cold <laughs> so they moved an entire summer season in there so maybe not Campbell River per se but you know nor within within 45 minutes to an hour there's a sizable amount of, of stuff. Am I going to be involved in theater? And how many of us have been, have been in lineups and people going, oh, pff, you know, it's not New York. I mean, I, <laughs> theater in Victoria isn't, I mean, I, I need to go to New York or I need to go to Toronto every year or I need to go to Vancouver because there's just really nothing here in Victoria. So, yeah. I, I, I might volunteer to go and help in the concession. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be involved in some fashion. Uh, anything particular you're going to miss about the Victoria Arts scene? Everything. everything. Absolutely everything. <laughs> absolutely everything. But, you know, there's a Writers' Festival in Campbell River. Hmm. You have any time to shift gears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, enjoy your retirement. I mean, yeah, thank you. Miss so, you. so much. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I know that I'm going to miss the community a lot too. And I'm pretty terrified about that. Well, and the community but, will hey. miss you. Like the, uh, I, I'd like to thank you for your service. Like, <laughs> seriously, like the amount of work you have done, yeah. uh, for someone who doesn't do it for a living, uh, it's remarkable what you've done and what you've accomplished and how you serve the arts community here over the last 10 years. It's yeah. fantastic. I think the one thing that I learned over the time that I've done this is that I've connected with other people across Canada. I would say probably maybe even across North America. There are people like me um, who are not arts professionals, but who absolutely are devoted to the arts. We exist everywhere, which is kind of amazing, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about it, that our communications um, platforms have given us like the inveterate amateur with just a passion, the ability to do stuff like that. All hail the non-stage mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Janice. Uh, thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Should we start with some reviews after yeah. that nice chat with Janice? Yeah, well, let's talk about The Doll's House Part 2 uh, that was at the Belfry. Melanie, um, you saw this as well? I did see this as well, yeah. yeah. And did you enjoy it? I did, for reasons that I wasn't expecting. Mm. I It was a very cerebral play. Mm. Um, not necessarily a lot of action, definitely not a nail-biter in, in those terms, but some really poignant thoughts about um, gender and relationships that really picked up 15 years later, if you will, from where A Doll's House version 1 left off, where Nora comes back Um to the house with Torvald again because she believed that uh, they had been divorced and had been living her life as if they'd been divorced only to find out, and it's not really a spoiler, it comes out right away, that he never filed the paperwork and all of the ways that that's going to impact her life and, and her agency as a woman in the world. Um, but her kids have now grown and she has to interact with them again and it was a really um, kind of interesting meditation on on 
her principles and her reasons for leaving, yes. But no one, at least I found John, and I'm interested in your feedback on it too. I didn't think anyone was the most particularly sympathetic character. Mm, no. You you really kind of felt and started seeing the perspectives from everybody involved in a really meaningful way. Yeah. So I liked I liked the kind of intelligence of it for sure. I was surprised by how nuanced the script was. It seemed fairly straightforward at first, but then when you really started thinking about mm-hmm. it and what you're hearing and how your attitudes did shift all the way around, which I thought was reflected in Michael Schmada's direction as well. The yeah. characters weren't necessarily locked into one position on the stage. They sort of shifted around the stage as their perspectives shifted around, uh, which I also thought was really well reflected in the costuming of all Yes. Um, Torvald the father and the maid, uh, whose name eludes me right now. Um, Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, thank you. Uh, they are both literally in black and white costumes because their mm-hmm. worldviews were very black and white. Uh, the daughter, Emmy, was portrayed uh, very much in a gray costume because mm-hmm. she was a blending of all these sort of perspectives. And then Nora, of course, herself burst onto the stage in this bright red outfit, which, you know, showed her individual path. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I really did like the set as well. Um, Christine Podbiak? Uh, Christina Podbiak's uh, set uh, I thought it was really great because it was slightly oversized like everything was slightly yes. too big the wainscoting was slightly too high the door was slightly too large so it reinforced that idea visually that they were almost like little people in a dollhouse mm-hmm. you know, they were acting this out for us yeah. uh, it's interesting that this is apparently the most produced play in the US right now really? wow apparently so Uh, And I did find it very interesting to think about what we are hearing on stage, which seemed very timely, uh, but it was supposed to be set in 1894. And I don't know about when you saw it, but uh, certainly my audience, there are a few wry chuckles when what would have been a very contemporary statement was being made in the 1890s or vice versa, Mm -hmm. you know, where she says something, but I'm sure this is all going to change in a few years. Yeah. No one will be married anymore. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Here it is. 2018. It's like we're dealing with the same kind of things. So yeah, there's a few things I wasn't thrilled with I, I really didn't understand why we needed the projections over the door frame telling us who was talking no. in each scene it's like Torvald well we know it's Torvald you know yeah. I don't think we needed that it was a, a libretto of sorts yeah. over top yeah. of the show that yeah. was a bit unnecessary yeah. for sure but I thought it was overall a very tight 90 minute no intermission production yeah. I really enjoyed it um I've talked to people who did not enjoy it mm-hmm. as well I talked to people who were rather bored by the whole thing but uh, I walked away really having really enjoyed it and thought a lot about it so so on that note were you a little surprised on opening that there wasn't a single person giving a standing o like our i find that our city is very generous mm-hmm. with standing ovations especially on opening night especially on opening night yeah. and so especially did, with that level of talent exactly you know? and like there's sometimes i mean i'm i'm a little bit stingy with my standing o's i give them when i think of it as a five-star show but yeah. our, our city likes to get on their feet and not a single person mm-hmm. stood and i was surprised like i was even you know, more more geared to getting up than I usually am. And I don't know if it's everyone was just kind of like tooling over what they had seen and that, again, more more kind of meaty material or whatnot. But I was surprised that there but, wasn't more of a crowd response. Yeah, when you consider, you know, arguably Canadian theatre royalty, Martha Burns and Benedict Campbell up there on the stage, and did people not know? Who knows? Anyways, Dolls House Part 2 uh, runs till October the 14th at the Belfry. What's next? Well, um, Melanie and I both went to see Blythe Spirit at Langham Court Theatre this week, which is the kickoff to the 90th anniversary season, um, which is pretty incredible. And um, they have all sorts of displays going on inside that Mm -hmm. sort of detail um, the 90 years. And it's pretty amazing to to see the history. 
on display. And this uh, this play, uh, Noel Coward, spooky spooky comedy, is in its fifth time, fifth occurrence at the Langham Court Theatre <laughs> since the 1940s. They love their Noel Coward. They love their Noel Coward. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Imagine the first time they did it. It's like, new play by Noel Coward. <laughs> I know. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, and it was, it was a pleasant surprise for me for two main reasons. Uh, one is that it was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. The set was incredible. Mm-hmm. The fashion was incredible. It was... Mm-hmm. And I think I had mentioned this in my review on Facebook that when the curtains drew open, the audience applauded. Mm-hmm. And how many plays start like that? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because Speaking of no standing yes. now, that's yeah. how it started. It was so oh. stunning. And it was that yeah, Art Deco 1940s fashion. One of their greatest assets in uh, with Langham Court is their be- costume loft. Mm-hmm. They really uh, use that to the advantage. It was just beautifully, beautifully done. The second surprise pleasant surprise was the use of technology and special effects mm-hmm. uh, for this play were outstanding and like Melanie was and I were saying you didn't even know how they did it yep. and uh, for a play that is basically the story of an upper crust seance it's pretty much all you need to know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. and some marital drama yeah two, two wives to us, yeah. So it um, it added such a great layer of kind of freakiness. It did actually. There's some mm-hmm. spooky moments, especially in a haunted venue, right? In a haunted it's venue, a good place for a ghost right story. around <laughs> Halloween. It was you know coming up to Halloween. It's a full moon. Uh, it was a, it was wonderful to see just for that. And it's it's a long show. You know, mm-hmm. it's two and something hours, but it was pretty engaging the entire time. And the cast did an excellent job. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth the, Whitmarsh especially is Madame Arcadi is the woman who brings oh, the seance to life yeah. and she did and her costuming as well was incredible but she brought she didn't overdo it it's totally I think the kind of character that in the wrong hands can become a bit of a caricature sure. and she was just her timing her comic timing was incredible yeah and had a, and a great physicality to, to her um, acting and yeah she was quite quite good so yeah, so that was a great, great one to see. So I'd recommend that to anyone. And that is at Langham until when? That is at Langham until October 16th. Just in time for the spooky season. Just in time for the spooky season. <laughs> Speaking of spooky season. Speaking of spooky season, yeah, I went to Frankenstein at Theatre in Canoe. Uh, it's a new script by local playwright David Ellendoon, uh, and it's written for the 200th anniversary of Mary Shelley's original novel, Frankenstein. Uh, it's not uh, a slam-bang horror fest at all, and if you're looking for something in the Boris Karloff uh, monster line, you're going to be disappointed, because that is not this kind of show at all. Uh, it's an interesting script. It's very long. It's got a real slow burn. It's 110 minutes with an intermission. And I'm not, there's no exaggeration that all of the action in this show happens in the last 10 minutes. It's a hunt, well, with the intermission, it's 90 minutes of build and then 10 minutes of payoff at the end. <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, Ellen Dune's script is, it's not always successful. The first, 
20 plus minutes is a straight up monologue and uh, credit to Brian Quakenbush who's playing uh, Victor Von Frankenstein, the, the scientist, not the monster. Uh, and he really holds this show together. He's a fantastic actor in this piece. He's really great uh, considering he's alone on the stage for so long. <laughs> he really does a great job. The other person who does a really great job with this show is director Ian Case uh, because he is working with so much uh, monologue material, so much scripted, heavily scripted material as play often uh, sounds like a piece of literature uh, more so than a play mm -hmm. in times but uh, Ian Case has a long history of doing uh, sort of uh, spooky horror type shows he's the person who started the, the Halloween shows up at the Craig Derrick Castle he's a dab hand with uh, anything in the horror line uh, and he's really done a great job of breaking these uh, long long passages up into something that's uh, more engaging for an audience he uses uh, the idea of Victrola is an old uh, recording technology. Uh, he does some neat things with the cast, bringing the cast on stage when they don't even have lines, just to move people around. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it's an interesting show. I don't know Mary Shelley's original book at all, uh, so I can't say if it's close to it or not, but it's very much ruminations on uh, you know, man's hubris at creating life, and you get mm. lots of scenes where Frankenstein is railing at God and cursing God and speaking to the skies and stuff like that. Is there a vampire twist like there was in Sherlock? There is no that. vampire <laughs> twist. And the monster, when the monster does appear uh, briefly and then later in the end of the show, uh, it's much more, if anyone's seen Penny Dreadful, it's much more Penny Dreadful than it is Boris Karloff. Uh, uh, the Frankenstein's monster in this is a very eloquent man. Mm. Uh, Evan Roberts, Evan Roberts plays him, and uh, yes, very elegant, uh, very twisted, of course, as well. Um, another standout in the cast for me was uh, Tunisia McKenna, who I've never seen in anything else, uh, but apparently he's going to be in Rent this fall as mm. well at VOS. Uh, she was excellent. She uh, played sort of Frankenstein's friend and buddy and uh, scientific uh, cohort. And uh, I really enjoyed her role. And I thought it was a great... I have no idea how this role was scripted. I don't know if it was scripted for a man or a woman. Uh, but I thought it was a great piece of colorblind casting because she's African-American. She's a woman playing what seems like it should have been uh, the kind of role that a white man would normally take. And I thought that was really great to see. And there is no question about why this person should be in this role. Um, good set. Clever set by Hannah Casey and his daughter. Uh, and it's all staged in the round in Theatre and Canoe, which is a very small space. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a good idea to stage it in the round because, you know, the cast moves in and around the audience and uh, it really keeps you engaged throughout the show. But yeah, it's a long, slow build. Uh, it is satisfying at the end when it all sort of comes to its head and explodes at the end. Uh, I would have liked a little more, not necessarily action, but a little more dynamic uh, something earlier on. But if you're looking for a spooky season show and you've got good patience and you want to hear some good script done by good actors, yeah, it's worth seeing for sure. Uh, that runs to October 13th at the Theatre in Kanu as well. Great. Yeah, it is spooky season, I guess. It is, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else is coming up? Is yeah. that where we're what's, at now? We're what's on deck? <laughs> what's on deck next? What are we seeing? Well, Paper Street Theatre just announced that they're going to be doing an evening with Kevin McDonald. Got my tickets in already. It's nice coming up in November at the Metro, but it probably will sell out. Mm -hmm. So it's worth mentioning Yeah, I now. mentioned, I was chatting with Dave, and he said, he, uh, Dave Morris, and he said they haven't even advertised it yet, and it's about half sold out. So if you're interested nice. in going, buy tickets now. It's only 20 bucks. Like It's, oh, wow. it's pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. What else is on anybody I'm else's going to the opera. 
Oh. Coming up, yeah, Fidelio, Beethoven's only opera, hmm. um, with Pacific Pacific Opera Victoria, and that starts on the 11th and runs to the 21st of October. And I don't know too much about this one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Should be an interesting one. I've seen um, a maquette of the set. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, looks interesting to me is the lead soprano features an up-and-coming soprano, um, Canadian soprano, who has the best name ever for opera. Her name is Aviva Fortuna. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. So... Born to be I'm an already opera excited singer. Do you think that's a stage name or her legit name? I think that's her legit name. Wow. And she was destined to be an opera no singer. No kidding. Or a um, fortune teller. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Opera singer. I'm sure she's going to be amazing. So yeah, looking forward to seeing that. I'm headed to William Head on stage this weekend. It opens October 5th. Uh, Crossroads, a prison cabaret, which apparently takes place, is set under the big roots of a tree Mm. um but based on uh all the uh, inspired by i guess i should say uh many of the great musicals we're all familiar with west side story cabaret uh and whatnot and so that runs till november 3rd and always um gets a good crowd out especially machosen is very Mm. supportive of um of the william head on stage program but i i'm looking forward to it and interested to see what they're doing with it this year um, Mamahood, uh, Bursting into Light is coming up at the Phoenix mm. in October, 10th to the 20th. Uh, Nicole Natris is doing that. Uh, it's being workshopped here in town before, but I think this is the first full staging of it and directed by TJ Daw, who I believe also did some dramaturge on it. Mm. So I'll be curious to see what that's like. Uh, she had her first baby at 40. So this whole show is about the, I guess, the perils and joys of having a later in life baby. My, yeah, my pick this week is music. Music. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to see Astro Color perform at the Capitol Ballroom on the 13th of October. They're a great local band. Uh, they started out, their first record was a Christmas album. Oh, I've got that Christmas it's, album. It's their first, ex- album. Their first album was yeah, a Christmas yeah, yeah. album, and then they funky. pivoted. And now they're like an electronic dance band. Yeah. And they're, they put on a great show. They're great, solid musicians, really entertaining. And so I'm looking forward to that. And I think we'll probably end the show with a little Astro Color. Nice. Nice. Let's do it. And uh, so, yeah, next time uh, we're hoping to catch up with some candidates in the municipal election, at least for Victoria. Uh, There are a lot of them. So we're going to record a podcast before the election to hopefully get some takes on uh, supporting the arts if these for the folks who are running, if they get elected, what they would do to support arts in Victoria. And yeah, it sounds like we'll have some good reviews, judging by what everybody's seeing. So... Well, yeah, great. Well, thanks for listening. As usual, you can get in touch with us. Uh, check the program yyj at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Check the Program. Thanks to Croatia for our theme music. Thanks to Janice Lacouve for coming in and chatting with us. And we'll leave you with a bit of Astro Color. Until next time, I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. I'm John Threlfall. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie Trauma Hooper. And don't, don't forget to check, check the, the program. program.